0: Welcome to Extension Out Loud. I'm Paul Treadwell.
1: And I'm Katie Balden.
0: For this special two-part episode, we talk with Larry Smart, professor of horticulture in Cornell School of Integrated Plant Sciences and associate director of Cornell Agritech.
1: Right. Our conversation with Larry is focused on hemp in New York State, what's new, what's being learned, and what the future holds for this exciting new crop.
0: During the first part of our conversation, we talk about CBD, hemp for fiber, protein and grain, and the biology of hemp.
1: And be sure to listen to part two of our conversation, where we discuss seed banks, feral hemp,
0: and emerging research.
1: So, Larry, thanks for coming and uh, talking to us about hemp. Can you tell us who you are? Give us a brief bio.
2: Yeah, thanks for the invitation. My name is Larry Smart. I'm a professor of horticulture in the School of Integrated Plant Science, and associate director of Cornell Agrotech in Geneva. And I've been working on hemp for a little more than two years, but presently leading the Cornell hemp research team.
1: Great, and you've been a researcher for much longer than two years, so tell us a little bit about your your history and how you got started with hemp or got interested in hemp.
2: Yeah, so I've been a professor at Cornell for 10 years now, and prior to working on hemp, I worked on willow as a bioenergy crop, and I still work on willow. Okay. Uh, so about half half of my lab studies genetics genomics and breeding of willow uh, but the current commercial climate for biomass based bioenergy is in decline uh, so when I saw the opportunity to work on hemp which is uh, a rapidly expanding crop with a lot of commercial interest uh, it, It's very intriguing and and interesting to add that to my research portfolio.
0: Hemp is something that in the last two years has become prominent here in New York State. Are there other places
2: across the country where hemp has been in development longer than we have? So the interesting thing about hemp is that in order to grow hemp, you must be licensed within an approved program within your state. So the development of the hemp industry has occurred state by state because Mm -hmm. of that due to a lack of national regulation. So Colorado is the biggest state. Kentucky is the most politically active state with Mitch McConnell, the senator from Kentucky, leading much of the hemp legislation in the Senate. And Oregon is also a very active state. But coming on very strong right now are North Carolina, Tennessee, a lot of grain being grown in Montana. So it's really interesting how... Regionally, different states are picking up hemp in their agricultural industry. Mm -hmm. For example, in North Carolina and Kentucky, it's largely been the tobacco farmers Mm -hmm. that have uh, seen hemp as an opportunity to transition from tobacco to hemp. You mentioned grain
0: in Montana and in New York State, everybody seems to be on the CBD bandwagon.
2: Nationally, over 90 and perhaps over 95% of the cultivation is for. Uh, cannabinoid production for CBD production. Uh, And I'm going to start using the term essential oil production (laughs) Uh, because cannabidiol, CBD, is now an approved drug uh, by the FDA. So there are some concerns in the hemp industry that uh, continuing to use that term CBD will cause some legal conflict with uh, the pharmaceutical industry and their use of CBD as a registered medicine. Mm -hmm. So
1: what's the differentiation between the medicinal properties and the essential oil?
2: Uh, it's all semantics. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) Uh, but, but because there's been relatively little research on the pharmaceutical benefits or medicinal properties of hemp extracts, that's another term we could use would Mm -hmm. be hemp extracts. Uh, It's not appropriate at this point to make medical claims except for the human clinical trials that have been conducted for CVD in the treatment of childhood epilepsy. So that's what that drug, Epidiolex, is the brand name of the drug, approved by the FDA for the treatment of certain forms of childhood epilepsy.
0: That's fascinating.
2: Yeah. So... As we see the expansion of hemp extracts in various forms that people are using for their potential medical benefits, there is a a real gray area in how FDA is going to regulate those as a dietary supplement, as a nutraceutical, or as a full-fledged registered pharmaceutical medicine. So we can say hemp extracts (laughs) or essential oils uh, and potentially avoid the implication that they have medicinal properties at this point. Fascinating. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I was passing by a vape shop the other day, and uh, you can buy hemp buds now?
2: So you've touched on another real uh, (laughs) area of legal conflict. New York State Ag and Marcus has been very consistent in rolling out the hemp program that smokable products were not allowed and in the medical marijuana program there are no smokable products that are allowed and yet one of the most popular products in the marketplace right now are smokable dried trimmed flowers Mm -hmm. which in appearance are very difficult to distinguish from marijuana trimmed flowers but again in the absence of research that demonstrates that inhalation of smoked hemp flowers is safe, Ag and Markets does not want that product produced and sold by New York growers. And yet, I think these shops are purchasing dried flower from other states yeah. and selling it openly in the marketplace, and yet our New York growers are not able to sell into that market based on the regulations from Ag and Markets.
0: So one of the cautions would be, uh, let the buyer be aware then when you're approaching any of these CBD extracts or products.
2: Absolutely. There are numerous studies that have looked at commercial CBD products, tinctures mostly, available on the marketplace. And the actual chemical content in those products varies widely to not having any CBD based on what's on the label or actually having fairly high levels of THC, which is of concern. So, again, the industry is trying to establish uh, good certification guidelines to self-regulate their own industry because they recognize that there's huge variability in the quality of the products being sold right now. Mm
1: So you mentioned that um, the CBD extract comes from the flower itself. Yes. And I know there's different varieties of hemp plants that are for different uses. Can you talk a little bit about some of that? That like five percent of the the industry that is being used for other products, and also about some of the different varieties of hemp that are being grown in the U.S. and then in New York specifically.
2: The hemp industry is often promoted based on an old I think it's popular science or popular mechanics article that said there are 25,000 uses for hemp, but we need to keep in mind that those uses need to be competitive in the marketplace. Uh, so you can certainly make paper out of hemp, but the cost of making hemp paper is far higher than making paper from wood. So there is huge potential to develop novel products, especially bio-based products that might replace fossil fuel-based or petroleum-based products. Uh, So I think that's very exciting, but we need to keep in mind that these products are not going to gain traction in the marketplace unless they're competitive in terms of pricing and, and production scale. So that being said, I think there are huge opportunities for harvesting hemp grain and pressing it for the oil which can be used in skincare products it goes into your skin very well and as a very healthy culinary oil which can be a replacement for fish oil because it has a very healthy balance of omega-6 and omega-3 fatty acids once you press that grain for oil you're left with a high protein press cake and we are all clamoring for plant-based proteins these days, whether it's in a Beyond Meat burger or an Impossible burger or in other high-protein you know, energy drinks or uh, recovery drinks. Hemp protein is very digestible. It's gluten-free. It's soy-free. I think there's great potential to develop hemp-protein-based products to meet that need Uh, for plant-based proteins in the marketplace. So the other opportunity for hemp is in fiber or on the stem, harvesting the stalk. And the stalk actually yields uh, two different products. One is the inner woody herd, and that woody herd can be chopped up and used as animal bedding, or you may have heard of hempcrete. It can be mixed with lime to generate a wall filler, I'll call it a wall insulation product. Mm -hmm. So don't think of it as hempcrete like you would make paving stones, Mm -hmm. but rather it's a a replacement for drywall. Mm -hmm. And then you have the high quality uh, fibers which have historically been used for cloth and rope, very strong, very long lasting. But the real opportunities in the future are to mix those with resins and to make very light and strong biocomposites. So often, I've heard that many of the biocomposite products that can be made are lighter and stronger than fiberglass-based products. So again, those are the opportunities if you can develop a biocomposite material that can replace a fiberglass product in a door panel or an airplane panel Uh, then we can convince auto manufacturers and plane manufacturers to incorporate that hemp. And then we have a big market opportunity. Could you just clarify for for my benefit, a biocomposite? So that would be a fiber embedded in a resin of some type, like snowboards are made out of. Okay. But they're made with a fiberglass. Mm -hmm. So a glass fiber embedded in a resin and then maybe compressed Uh, So, we're talking about replacing the fiberglass with hemp hemp strands of hemp fiber.
0: Okay, cool. Thank you. Is there anybody here in New York developing hemp protein products?
2: Yes. We have a wealth of food processing companies here in New York State. We try to highlight those uh, and and develop products from those industries at the Center of Excellence for Food and Agriculture, which is based at Cornell Agritech in Geneva, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, working with startup companies and establish companies uh, to uh, promote food and agriculture entrepreneurship. And so that gives us the opportunity to work with companies to develop new products uh, in our food venture center, mm-hmm. in our pilot plant in Geneva. And certainly we do have some companies interested in developing hemp milks, uh, uh, plant-based protein drinks. (laughs) Uh, So again, hemp protein, you can make a hemp protein drink equivalent to a dairy product.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a a long way of saying
2: it. Hemp can grow in a rain-fed setting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Certainly it grows very well here in New York State in a rain-fed setting. It does have a high fertilizer demand. So Again, one of the hypes about hemp is that it can grow anywhere. It can grow on marginal soil. But what we've seen is, uh, and I heard it, an, an agronomist say this, you can grow hemp on marginal soil and you'll get a marginal crop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is very nitrogen-demanding and potassium-demanding, similar to corn. Okay. So if you want good yields of hemp grain or hemp fiber, you need to grow it on some of our best farmland here in New York State. It's very intolerant to flooding. Uh, so we have a lot of heavy clay, poorly drained soils, and hemp will not be a good crop for those soils in New York. Huh. So you could do a rotation,
0: though, if you were planting like clover or alfalfa, and then you'd bring hemp in and then... Eat. What is what is the, the yep. cycle of development? Where are we at for, for farmers actually implementing the growth of hemp?
2: So I should say that at this point we're really seeing... A bifurcation of hemp cultivation. So, we've talked about grain and fiber. That crop is grown as a traditional field crop, mm. planted with a cereal grain drill and harvested either with a sickle bar mower and a baler or for grain harvested with a regular combine. So, that's traditional field crop agriculture. Uh-huh. But for CBD, it's grown much more as a specialty crop, as you would grow tomatoes. That is the current practice. Mm. The price of the seed for CBD is extremely high. The current market is a dollar per seed, Mm. as opposed to the seed for grain or fiber is somewhere three to four dollars a pound, with Mm. twenty-six thousand seeds per pound. Yeah, that's (laughs) so. The CBD seed is the equivalent of twenty-five thousand dollars per pound.
0: Holy God. That's a substantial investment. Yeah.
2: So simply the the cost of the inputs uh, is resulting in in a bifurcation in how we deal with grain and fiber producers versus CBD producers in terms of extension.
0: And there's a there's a lot of um, expense differentials when you're starting to talk about CBD oils because that's a whole processing thing that has to happen. So are we seeing the same bifurcation
2: in grower profiles? Exactly, so I mentioned that in Kentucky and North Carolina, the tobacco farmers have been able to pick up hemp cultivation very easily. It fits very well with the tobacco cultivation and drying Mm -hmm. methods. They're drying hemp in their tobacco drying barns. They're using modified tobacco harvesters to harvest hemp. In New York State, I would say some of our most successful early adopters have been our vegetable farmers. Mm -hmm. They already have a diverse set of crops that they manage. They're accustomed to the weed management challenges in vegetables because we have relatively few tools in terms of herbicides for weed management in vegetables. Mm -hmm. We're using plastic mulch, raised bed, trickle irrigation systems for hemp. And those farms also typically have a need for a lot of hand labor, and the current hemp cultivation practice involves a lot of hand labor for planting, crop management, and harvesting. Mm. So that's been the easiest way for hemp to fit into the New York agricultural system, I think, is is with vegetable growers. Huh.
1: Is anyone growing hemp for personal use?
2: No. Like you can't You can't You no. can't
1: create CBD on your own.
2: So you need to be licensed by the Department of Agriculture and Markets. Uh-huh. Uh you need to present basically a business plan of how you intend to grow and uh-huh. and process and market your hemp. Okay. And they have denied license applications for personal use. Okay. So we're not going to see backyard hemp anytime soon. Not under the current regulations. (laughs) (laughs) The issue is that it is very difficult, just by appearance, to distinguish hemp from marijuana. Mm -hmm. So as long as marijuana is federally illegal, then we will see this level of tight regulation of hemp. Mm.
1: So you talked a little bit about some of the... um the challenges with growing, like uh, the need for a lot of fertilizer. What are some other farming best practices for hemp that you found in your research?
2: So I'll just list some of the challenges that hemp mm-hmm. growers find, the initial challenges in finding a, a good and reliable seed source. Mm-hmm. So with the rapid expansion of the industry, a lot of unscrupulous players have come in to the industry who are selling seeds that are not true, stable, and uniform cultivars. Mm -hmm. And the biggest risk for growers is that their crop will become non-compliant for THC. Mm -hmm. So hemp has to have less than 0.3% THC, and the state tests for that. And if a crop exceeds that, the vernacular is that it goes hot, then uh, potentially it can be confiscated. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the biggest challenges And managing the crop, starting from finding a good seed source to properly fertilizing the crop and then harvesting at the proper time, is all critical to make sure that the crop stays compliant for THC.
1: Hmm. And when is the harvest season for hemp?
2: We are just starting now. okay. So hemp is a day-length sensitive plant, so it flowers as the days get shorter. So here at this latitude, our day length is uh, getting around 13 hours, and that is getting close to the threshold for when hemp will start to flower. And within the next uh, four to five weeks, uh, the crop will reach maturity and, and be ready to harvest those flowers.
0: So is there a difference between male and female? Do you want your female plants to be the predominant plants?
2: So... That is critical in multiple ways. So it is the female that produces the grain. Mm -hmm. So in grain crops, those have been bred to reduce the number of male plants in a field, in a population, and try to maximize the number of female plants to maximize grain production. For CBD, it's also critical because the cannabinoids are produced in special cells that are only produced on the female floral parts. Mm -hmm. And actually, there is some thought, I think we need to do more research on this, but when those female flowers become pollinated, the levels of CBD go down. So the current practice is to maintain a field that is exclusively female plants. Mm -hmm. And I should step back and say, hemp is what we call a dioecious crop, It has a well-developed sex chromosome and works on an XY basis, similar to humans. So male plants are XY, and their pollen donates either an X or a Y chromosome, so we expect a 50-50 mixture of males and females in a seeded population. For CBD production, we generate a female field either by culling out or removing the male plants as they appear by taking a female plant and propagating it through cuttings, uh, cloning it. Or the trickiest method is to take a female plant and we can apply some treatments that induce male flowers on a female plant by manipulating the hormonal control of flowering. So those male flowers on a female plant Produce pollen that only has X chromosomes. Wow. If you use that pollen to pollinate back to the female, all of the seed that is produced is XX. It's all female. And we call that feminized seed. Mm-hmm. And that's the seed that's selling for a dollar a piece right now because it pretty much assures a farmer that they can plant out their crop mm-hmm. and get exclusively female plants in their field. Wow.
1: So is cross-pollination with other varieties or with marijuana plants a risk for farmers?
2: So pollination is a risk because the levels of CBD will go down. Mm-hmm. There is almost no risk of cross-pollination from marijuana because mm-hmm. marijuana growers only grow female plants.
1: Okay. Oh, interesting.
2: <laughs> the only person who might be growing male marijuana plants would be a marijuana breeder and mm-hmm. That's not typically done outdoors, okay. so Interesting. and shouldn't be done in New York. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Technically, no. <laughs> so there is a risk then if we have growers who are growing that field crop for grain or fiber. Those crops will produce abundant pollen. Mm-hmm. They they have, you know, fifty percent male plants in the field. And those crops could potentially pollinate a CBD crop and cause a decline in the CBD production in that field. So there is a lack of research on how far pollen can move and what the true risks are. The current standard, which is based on the production of certified seed, so that's another area where you want to exclude any other pollen sources is when you're producing certified seed of a particular cultivar, that distance right now is three miles. Hmm. And based on some preliminary research that we did, we think that that's probably an accurate distance uh, for, I'll say, pollen security in New York State based on our topology and humidity and oh, okay. and number of trees. And
0: So if Farmer John up the road is producing, you're probably not going to be able to produce without... Some sort of cross pollination happening.
2: So uh, you that have those
1: male plants.
2: That.
0: Well, yeah, but then then the male plants are going to cross pollinate with his females, and he's going to get really annoyed. Yeah.
2: So that is raises the potential for conflict between growers, is when there's someone growing for grain or fiber within that three mile zone, especially upwind mm-hmm. of a grower producing for CBD, That's and uh, we don't. So from Cornell's perspective and Cornell Cooperative Extension and New York State ag and markets, we don't want to play favorites uh, in in that opposition between grain and fiber producers or CBD producers. We want the entire industry to be promoted. Mm -hmm. And the best way to resolve those conflicts is for growers to communicate with one another the license holders are publicly available mm-hmm. on the Ag and Markets website. So if you're growing for CBD, it's really in your best interest to identify the licensed growers within your county and ask them where their growing locations are, and then try to make sure you're excluding pollen within that three-mile zone.
1: Thank you for listening to Extension Out Loud. Brought to you by Cornell Cooperative Extension.
0: This episode of Extension Out Loud was produced and edited by Paul Treadwell with help and advice from Katie Belden and R.J. Anderson.
1: Please give us your feedback through our listener survey and sign up for our mailing list for notifications about new episodes. Links to both of these can be found on our SoundCloud page.
0: Or by visiting extensionoutloud.com. Oh, really? Yes, ma'am.
1: Oh.